Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm your host, Megan Gray, and this is the music podcast where I get to know the people behind the music. In each episode, I speak to a different band, artist, or music professional about their experiences so far within the industry. Each guest creates an exclusive playlist full of their most life-defining songs. That way we can hear all about the music and moments that have made them the people and musicians that they are today. Hello and welcome back to the Vocal Girls podcast. This week I'm speaking to Al Greenwood, who's the amazing drummer from indie pop band Sports Team. Here's the thing, if you're smart enough that everybody smiles, if you work a little harder you'll get by, or you can trust a man who wears a suit and so just lies, 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 lies. Sports Team are made up of six friends who met at university in Cambridge and now live together in London. Their long-awaited album, Deep Down Happy, is due for release in June after being pushed back from April due to the virus and is expected to be pretty special. I'm really looking forward to talking to Al and hearing about how the band have been faring in lockdown. I'm very kind of spirited by the fact that everybody's going through the same thing and for loads of people it's significantly worse than me so that helps me to not be too um self-indulgent and feel too sorry for myself but um yeah it's not it's I'm you know finding the positives but it's definitely not my kind of natural uh state of being like I'm not someone who really enjoys like spending time on my own or chilling out um and would never really choose to do it but in a way that's you know good to learn new skills but yeah I think for us it's quite weird because at the start of the whole lockdown period um sort of just prior to it we are like we were meant to be going to America so we were doing South by Southwest then coming back and we were supposed to have a UK tour surrounding like the album release and then we were going back to America for like five weeks um with Bombay Bicycle Club and so that kind of all became clear that that wasn't going to quite happen as we'd intended. And so at that point, we decided to like go to Devon. So we went to this kind of rural, um, I guess, like writer's retreat. So there's a small studio there and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, like the perfect place to be in this kind of circumstance. Yeah. So at first that was ideal. Um, and we were there for about two and a half, three weeks. And then proper lockdown kind of came into play and gradually, you know, they stepped yeah. up all of the um, the rules and regs and it became clear that like we had to leave basically. So we had like a day where we had to just get out. The guy who was running it was like, you know, the council have been on to us. We're not allowed to run this business. So it was kind of, oh my goodness. despite obviously knowing that we were going into lockdown, there wasn't that thing of like, oh, like, what do I need to get and where would I like to be? It was like, well, you need to leave yeah. now. Um, and the band all live together in London. That's kind of where our main base is. But it's a, oh, you know, it's such a 
privileged position to be in like it's it's fine it's a lovely house but it's not like massively spacious and there's no outdoor space so we were all like oh let's just go home for a bit which for me is in Leeds um and I haven't spent any proper time here like my partner lives up here as well so if ever I'm home we're like together so it's kind of the longest time I've spent in my childhood home since I was about 17 um which is weird and kind of nice in a way. Um, yeah. But yeah, like just so many basic things. Like I don't have a drum kit here, which is so annoying. Oh, no way. Um, and like I've got quite random clothes, e.g. this <laughs> interesting vest, which I chopped up when I was... To be fair, what, who am I kidding? I actually love this vest. But, you know, there's just certain <laughs> basic things where you're like, this isn't as I would have ideally planned my lockdown. And also like all of the like voluntary services and all of that are completely like yeah we've got way too many people on our books we don't need you please just stay at your home and I'm like what I'm so oh, that's mad. I know you really want to feel like you're doing something useful yeah that's it you? like so selfish that so many other people are just helping the cause <laughs> what about me Absolute I need bastards. to get that self-gratification <laughs> I know oh god yeah I think that's been one of the weirdest things isn't it like what you were saying about it kind of, it didn't get serious until it suddenly was very serious. Yeah, and so... it was also that weird thing where you were like, obviously this is going to happen. Like, you know, we'd yeah. seen in so many other countries yeah. and like everyone had spoken about it and everyone knew someone who knew someone who knew it was going to happen. And yet when it happened, I was like, oh shit, you know, know. <laughs> really caught me off guard agree. there. Um, yeah, I think, I think we were probably kind of like sort of hoping that it would never, I don't know, like, do you know when you kind of, burying your head in the sand but yeah massively a hundred percent especially with stuff like festivals it's like yeah so sad but that is the main thing that I think is really unlike our tours and everything but just knowing that there aren't you know we're not going to get to do Glastow and all the rest of it it's like on the scale of things this is an awful global situation yeah. and the fact that I'm not going to Glastonbury is probably not the worst <laughs> thing in the world but somehow it still just makes me really sad Oh, I completely um, agree. It is those like obviously it is all relative, and it's it is those kind of little personal wins because that's the mm, kind of stuff that really really gets you through, isn't it? Really, no, hundred kind of like percent. But ultimately, parties. like I don't, you know, I speak to a lot of my mates who, to be fair, are like having to work remotely and all the rest of it, or have been furloughed, and like mm. ultimately, people are talking about having like down days and all the rest of it. And touch wood, so far, like I feel a bit pissed off from time to time, but actually, like. I'm relatively fine and you know mm. I'm safe and well and like got a very nicely stocked fridge so it's not too bad that is definitely one of the benefits of being at home isn't it yeah like oh, the cheese 100%. Selection or something. and just the booze like everything you don't yeah it's um we're, we're living pretty well and also just having so much time and like I really like cooking anyway I've always enjoyed it but like now it's just my you know my day revolves around mm. preparing a meal eating a meal thinking about the next one, reading every yeah. single cookery book in the house. Um, and that is bringing me a lot of joy, it's got to be said. Um, so, yeah, I really can't complain. It must be weird, though, to have you all kind of dispersed around the country, though, because you're not all from the same area, are you? You, you, mm. you, met, you met at uni, but you're kind of all from different parts. So how are you finding it kind of like communicating with the band and that kind of stuff generally? Yeah, it is really weird. So basically, as you said, so most of the boys live like down south, Henry's in Cornwall, and then the rest of them are like spread around kind of like out of London. Um, and since, so we all quit our jobs like two summers ago, and since then, we, we've lived together 
kind of sporadically. So we, we've only just got a place in London, but we were either on the road or we were at someone's house altogether, or we were like all in a studio staying mm. there. Um, so essentially for two years, I haven't spent more than, I think at Christmas we had like 10 days apart, but like genuinely Whoa. we don't spend time apart otherwise just because of the nature of the way the band is and like tour, yeah. the schedule last year was so intense. Um, so it's just really weird. And no, like it, I, nobody's really like, I don't know, it's not like we're doing Zoom quizzes or whatever it is mm. that people do. We're just kind of like in contact in a piecemeal way also I think when you the nature of our relationship is like I obviously love and adore them all but if you were to witness us as a group you think <laughs> that that probably wasn't the case and it's like you know it's a very kind of sibling like kind of bickering and bullying and nobody you never really express yeah. how you feel about one another god forbid so <laughs> it is now really weird to be like oh I actually really miss you I miss when you obviously yeah. I could never say that to them. If they listen to this, they'll be they'll be grossed out. But um, <laughs> no, it is really tough. Um, and I think you can like, use this as your declaration of love. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be kicked out of the band. Um, but yeah, and I think it's a good opportunity as well to like take a bit of space and think about kind of what the band means in this context. And like you know, it's a weird relationship in terms of like is it appropriate to be trying to release music at the moment? Mm. And obviously we kind of pushed back the album initially because it just feels a bit obviously conflicting to be trying to promote something at yeah. a time when so many people are going through such kind of suffering in many different ways. Um, but I think ultimately now, like I've been listening to more music than ever and more radio and like actually you really want music and people want something to like, yeah you know I've never been so excited about new releases because it's like oh this is actually something not related to this bloody virus that we can kind of talk about and think about and enjoy and sort of share yeah. um so hopefully when the album does come out that'll be a kind of positive step in that in that sense you guys all met at uni in Cambridge but how did you kind of decide to form the band in the first place it's funny I think like none of us had been in a band before and like you know it's not it's like a genuine truism that we couldn't have been in any other band like I wouldn't have considered myself a drummer before we all kind of got together and I think for many of the boys that's true apart from Ollie who's grade eight bass and can actually play the bass um <laughs> but it was very much a case of like we're just a group of mates who all kind of like the same music I was actually introduced to the rest of the group because um, our old guitarist, Jerry, who uh, who's no longer with us, was a really good mate of mine. And he started playing with them. Um, and we had like a really shitty um, college bar that was like, mm. I don't know, a non-event kind of thing. And the boys would like tip up and play. I think they did it twice. Just like didn't announce it, didn't ask if they could do it. And basically just pissed off everyone in the college. Um, they didn't have any songs they were just kind of like thrashing away um, and for some reason that seemed like an appealing prospect to me at that time um, <laughs> and so yeah I got involved I was like the only drummer that they knew um, slash like the only person who'd ever played the drums that they knew um, and we kind of just took it from there so we used to rehearse in this like storage cupboard um, and like we'd get about 15 minutes in and then we'd get kind of like asked to move um and we'd put on these gigs at like the sports and social club so we it was called like pound band 
um, we charge a pound on the door and like invite all of our mates down and like just advertise these really non-existent drink deals. Um, and kind so of fun. just like it was it was so fun. Like the band always grew out of a love of playing live, and that was kind mm. of like what we rested upon. And at that point, the notion of like you know putting out an album or recording even seemed like miles away. We were just doing it because it was like a really really fun way. Yeah, I was gonna say we. Were you ever kind of like, at that point, were you ever being like, this is going to be a serious thing or was it just doing it because you enjoyed it so much? Yeah, it's funny how I'm not going to get... So if we, if you if you were talking to the rest of the band, it'd be like, yeah, we always knew that it was had massive potential and like, you know, we always wanted to be playing Wembley. Um, but if I'm brutally honest, like for me at the time, that would have been, you know, inconceivable. Like it was just a mm. fun thing to do. Um, and like... It was just a great way of like, you know, organising nights out and kind of like spending yeah. time with your mates and like having this creative outlet at no point. If you'd have said and I remember like coming home from uni to like see my old mates and like talking, like telling people that I was in a band and they were like, what? Like I, it was, you know, I always loved music and went <laughs> to a lot of gigs, but like to get in your first band age like 18 is quite a weird I guess for many people, like, you know, they were all just a bit bemused by it. Um, but yeah, we kind of just took it from there. And I guess it was just fortuitous that we all ended up in London. We're all working like pretty intense day jobs, but kind of met the right people who supported us and like, you know, introduced us to other people. And then there's mm. this producer called Dave McCracken, um, who basically just inexplicably really liked the band and like I think we always rode off like the energy of live shows and I think he just got it um, and he was trying to get into production at the time because he'd been a really successful songwriter and like synth player um, and so he'd got this um, what do you call them guardianship of a timbiard mm. in Hammersmith um, which was like this old obviously timbiard that had then been repurposed into a house and the person who'd had it previous to him had actually set up a studio so we were the first oh, wow. people he was kind of setting it all up as we went down and we were the first people that he worked with um and he basically just let us go down after work so we'd all kind of trudge along I was doing a lot of work in Bradford at the time so I'd get the train from Bradford get down to King's Cross go over to Hammersmith and meet the guys and we just kind of like you know just play the songs and go for drinks and sort of like yeah, it was the least professional kind of like first recording experience that you could have. And obviously we didn't know any different. So at that time I was like, oh, cool. Like this is what recording is. You just yeah. kind of play the song with everyone. Obviously now it's like headphones, click track, like yeah, you do it one at a time. Um, But yeah, and then that kind of was, enabled us, you know, we were so lucky to work with him because from that point it kind of generated you know more opportunities and we've kind of got to where we have um but yeah it's like so surreal to look back on the journey that we've been on and like yeah I just feel really really lucky to have um to have done it but what was the question I feel like I've really rambled there <laughs> no 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 I think um I, the question I think was if it was always serious from the start or whether you were just kind of having fun with it the reluctance is that um because we all have kind of we enjoy the sort of humorous aspects to it and like to um not be too kind of like high and uh you know high art necessarily about everything we do because I think that was something that was happening quite a lot in South London mm. at the time that you know there was a bit of a reaction against 
but I think as a kind of spin-off of that, there's been a kind of risk that people consider the band like a bit of a joke or like, you know, happy funsters sports team, um, where actually like the music that we write now and work on, you know, we, it's like we take it very seriously and we put in yeah. hours and hours of effort. And I think that's why there's a reluctance to kind of refer back to the early days where it was yeah. a complete laugh. Um, so I think that's kind of why we try and not, maybe give that side of things so much but um we do work it should be fun though shouldn't it I mean like it would be weird if it wasn't and like I also think what you were saying about how you kind of at the early days it was that paying attention to the live shows and just because you enjoyed doing the live stuff so much I do think that that really shines through with the music like I think the fact that you have fun with it is one of like the great things about the band like you can really tell and that doesn't I don't think that undermines the kind of the quality of the content at all i think it's it's refreshing to see people enjoying it because you should be yeah i'm, I'm glad i'm glad I'm no glad it definitely that does across. but yeah no it is it's definitely true what you say though like and um, particularly when we were working on the album we were sort of recording very piecemeal mm. in between like festival shows and tours um and i think kind of as a result of that but not necessarily mm. a conscious planned thing every song on that album is has been considered in how it will translate live and what the moments will be for an audience and like how you yeah. can really convey that energy and the excitement of the live show into like a um into a recorded yeah, version which is really hard to do um but i think we've kind of hopefully got there you a bit about what playing Glastow was like because obviously for, for a music fan it's like the festival so I could only imagine what it's like to actually play that so I'd never been beforehand mm. and I wasn't sure if like I actually love so all of my favorite festivals prior to that have been tiny ones that we've played so for example mm. there's one down in Cornwall called Knee Deep that we did a couple of times where like you can see your tent from the main stage oh, and by the second night you know half the people at the festival and it's like 3 quid a drink and like you can just walk back to your like car if you need to like everything's super chill and because I'm just a bit lazy I think I thought that that was my ideal festival and kind of wasn't sure how it was, yeah. how like Glastonbury kind of as a punter because massively the experience is like obviously playing it's amazing but it's also just getting to attend was like ridiculous and the first night we got there was like the thursday i think when there's like no bands on so everyone's wandering around and obviously normally you've got the stages which have like congregations of thousands of people so without that like it's just so busy everywhere and it was super hot like you can't meet up with anyone Mm. I remember about half an hour in, like it'd been such a clerk getting in and like getting our accreditation and all that. And I remember about half an hour in being like, oh, do you know what? Like great experience, like chuffed to be here, but this isn't for me. Like yeah. actually, I think it's I do for massive. a smaller festival. This is too much. Like so lucky to have experienced it, but like probably not. And then somewhere between that first hour and like the two days later when we left, because we had to leave early to go to Belgium, I think a piece of my soul just kind of like evaporated. <laughs> like I honestly just can't explain how. And it's really hard to like pinpoint what it was. There's like so many different moments of highlights, but the whole experience was just like 
really really incomparable for me and like you know it's a bit embarrassing to admit how much you like live for it but I did just live for it um and then yeah playing it as well I guess is just a surreal kind of you know I used to so I in my old job prior to like my day job um I had a really good relationship with my boss and like you know we worked very closely together but we used to do these like I don't know what they're called like career um review things and you have to like go into this meeting and write down whatever you've done well or what you need to work at and then you'd always be like oh and what's your goal where do you want to be in a year's time or whatever and I always wrote in those things like playing at Glastonbury um and he was like ha 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 yeah sure and obviously like assumed it would never happen so I remember like sending him a little text (laughs) before we went on stage and just being like yeah, it's happened. Um, what a moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it was, it was great. Was it terrifying? No, well, because that's the other thing. So we actually did, we ended up doing two shows. Yeah, because we, or three shows. So we played the Crow's Nest, but also we'd been there for two nights by the time we did our big show. So none of us were really in like a fit state, you know what I mean? Like it was, it'd been a big weekend <laughs> by this point. Um, and I think we had to turn up at like midday or something so at that point like everyone was just kind of delirious I think we hadn't eaten in like because it had been so hot as well so everyone was just like a bit of a wreck um and I remember like going and having breakfast which was like the first meal that I'd had that day and so I ate like this egg bap and I was like that was such a mistake this is like half an hour before we went on and like I was just wandering around with Rob like I think I might be very unwell on stage and like you know the whole thing was just like oh, one no. big. but amazing and like you know definitely something to look back on and it also I think it did make it having to go straight to Belgium because it was just so silly like the day we played Glastonbury we were on uh um that night we were in Calais like went out for drinks in Calais and was like you know in another country having like it was just that whole experience was so surreal um but yeah it was brilliant and like yeah next year we will be we'll be back we'll go again (laughs) have you been yeah I went in uh I think it was 2015 and then have tried to get tickets every single year since we we will went we were like right that's it every year now and then just never ever been able to get them since (laughs) I think it's meant to be one in ten people get them but it's such a like it's so operation to get them, and it's so disappointing because you get yourself in such a tears like yeah ready, yeah, yeah. computer screens, and then it's just so disappointing. The hype next year, next year. Obviously, doing all these surreal things like playing Glastonbury and then flying off to another country and doing another show. Like, is it kind of like a gradual process going from being a band and then suddenly getting signed and then suddenly doing all this? crazy stuff like filming music videos and playing all these shows does it ever hit you at once or does it is it just feel quite organic and natural that process it's kind of weird yeah I don't know I think it's it's only the moments when you know like on your phone when it's like this time a year ago yeah. and like would have been playing a show that at the time felt like this massive thing and now comparatively you know it, it seems like that must have been five years ago kind yeah. of thing um, which isn't to say that like you get you know you it, you still enjoy everything and you appreciate it but I think things just move so quickly that yeah it's only now as I say that we've had this time to stop that you think yeah. like shit like we were just and you end up traveling so much and meeting so many people and doing so much that yeah like obviously we just 
play Glastonbury and then went to play the Rock Verkta that we also did that weekend was like the biggest stage I think in Europe it's like bigger than the pyramid stage and it's like just this insane thing and I was still playing with my drum kit that I'd had for like three years at the time so it's like this tiny drum kit and the year before we played Scala so we bought this banner it was like one of the biggest investments that we'd done at that point we bought this like massive banner um Mm. to go at like the back of the stage and so in when we played Scala I think we had to like fold it around a little bit and then all of the tours we'd done up till then we had to like you know you could either have the word sports or the word team like because it was too like way too big and I remember playing Rock Verkter we were like stood at the side of the stage so Muse were headlining that night and they had like a 60 um 60 person dance troupe and like robots and like all of this amazing stuff and then they asked us like what we needed to set up and so I got my drum kit out and there was like a drum technician who knew such a thing existed who was like (laughs) sound checking the whole thing and like laughing to his mate about how shit the drum kit was and it's like this tiny tiny little thing on this huge stage and then they start raising the banner up and it honestly looked like a tea towel just because of the scale of the state. You could like barely see it because it was so tiny in comparison. So there's stuff like that where you look back now and you're like, that was... And then obviously oh, like the shows we did towards the end of the year and like going out to America loads and like, yeah, there's so much stuff where at the time it like it just happens mm-hmm. and you do enjoy it and like you have a little bit of like, you know, every, you yeah. know we'll have a drink and we'll be like, yeah, this is this yeah. is good. But no, it's only when you kind of stop and look back that you think, yeah, this has been pretty wild. We're very, very blessed lives we live. You say it's boring, but it's not. Well, it's only I've forgotten. Call a number, make a change. I love the Here's the Thing record, by the way. It's great. It's it's kind of worked, um, weirdly, for this period of time. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So yeah. my mum is a um she works for the NHS and has like she's only meant to work a few days a week, but is like obviously just doing loads at the minute. And so she keeps like sending to her like colleagues the um the link to the video because apparently it's like everyone keeps saying here's the thing in these meetings or whatever and it's so funny that they all keep being like oh wow they must have like known you know they must have got this out so quickly when this whole event happened um and obviously that wasn't the case at all I mean it was equally pertinent I think given like the whole political foreground pre-covid but uh, yeah no it is quite funny the way that it seems to have hopefully struck a chord yeah like i mean like the lyrics and stuff like with if you're barely getting by then it's your fault and the kind of calling that particularly when everyone's kind of really struggling it's really poignant so what can we expect from that album then it's that difficult thing of wanting to inca- like capture a lot of what people have already kind of bought into or what kind of our fans like about the band mm. um, and something that I can take absolutely zero credit for but you know I'm sort of proud of nonetheless is I think lyrically um, there's that same kind of interest and blend of like humour, critique and sort of in some cases like you know just fantastical 
Um, but that's something that I really, really like and I think it shines mm. through really well, but always with the same energy that you know, we've spoken about in terms of where the live shows go to um, and hopefully just kind of a little bit more... I don't know, it's difficult to talk about without like sounding like a yeah. wanky music critic, but like hopefully there's a development of that in a kind of sonic way. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's I think we're all quite happy with, if you listen to the first few EPs, there's it there's a, a kind of differences. There's like a journey of where the sound is. Um, and I think we've landed on something here that's a bit more consistent throughout the album, if you listen to it, um, and that it's hopefully... Well, that is great. Yeah, I think the idea of kind of when you're writing it, thinking about the live shows, it's kind of really shows the connection with the the fans and the audience. Is that sort of the main reason why you're doing it? Because you have a WhatsApp group, don't you? Yeah, I think so. It's not it's not particularly, you know, we don't kind of sit down together and it wasn't like a, a planned thing. But I think it's just the natural way that the band's developed. It's always, live has always um you know pre-existed the the songs being recorded and actually the first year that we were all in London I think we were playing shows together like nothing was recorded mm. um or released at least um and I think yeah we're just so lucky that we've ended up somehow with this massively engaged and like committed lovely group of fans who sort of yeah we've got a whatsapp group with and who just kind of bully us consistently with their horrible memes and all the rest of it um <laughs> How did the WhatsApp group come about? I don't know. I think we created it like as a bit of a joke because we had one fan in one of our really early tours, um, this um, young and articulate and brilliant young girl called Willow, who's also an amazing artist, um, came to like four out of six of the shows or something and we were like, what is going on? And so I think it was like, oh, you know, we need a WhatsApp group with Willow. And then this gradually got <laughs> shared on like Instagram once. And now there's like 200 people all over the world. It's like a thousand messages a day, um, which sadly you can't always keep track of That's because intense. it would destroy you. Um, but it's yeah. like, and you know, it's such a sports team is such a non-existent thing. Frequently, there'll just be a whole day where they're discussing like, you know, I don't know, whatever it is they like to talk about crisp flavors and you know what's going on in the news and what have you but um no it's like really really nice and I think but what a great else... way to have instant sort of feedback and communication with your yeah your, sometimes like, it's base. good to have instant feedback it's often <laughs> instant cut downs um no but they definitely <laughs> oh, no. it's quite funny because people are like what like you know even the notion of a fan is such an out it's like a weird it's it doesn't sit very yeah. well with you because it's like it's just a weird concept and like my other yeah. mates who I've got are like your fans are so funny ha 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 but I think it kind of doesn't really relay the the true nature of our relationship which is more like you know your friendship group that all rip the piss out of you um, and yeah. that's more what the whatsapp group is um, well, but nice. it is really nice and I think like the sense of community is something that I'm really really proud of that again I can take no credit for because it's just developed kind of in and of itself but it means that when there's a show it's like nobody goes on their own you can always put a message on the group and we can see like the biggest shows that we play you can see or like festival dates you can just see them all pinging like messages to one another like where are you like right of the speaker okay what are you what okay I'm coming now and it's like oh that's so that great. is exactly so what you want at the gigs as well. yeah 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 massively and wow. like you know they'll like make little um like drawings and like things that they'll then kind of like share and give to us and like 
we've had some amazing stuff um but it's also you know there's like obviously there's a massive range in like age groups but particularly on the whatsapp group there's a lot of young fans um and for me something that is really really spiriting is like young girls who are super committed Mm. to music and like so kind of like bright and intelligent and like confident in in themselves um which is like i don't know keeps me very um motivated to kind of like try and do more and push on um and certainly like recently i've spent one of the other things that i've done sort of during lockdown is a bit of writing um kind of in response to the whole 50 50 gender pay grab stuff and just kind of reflecting on my own relationship with that and kind of journey through music and i think something that i've because I wasn't a drummer and like, you know, I've worked really hard and I'm really comfortable with what I do now, but I'm not the best drummer in the world. And I don't think Mm. I ever will be. um, And that's okay. But as a result, I've always been a bit reticent to kind of like, you know, say that I'm representing female drummers because I'm not, I'm not going to be the best musical representative of like that group. But actually, I think you're just being modest there, though. (laughs) Well, that's very kind, but it's also very factual. Um, But (laughs) but more to a point, like, actually, it doesn't. And I also, you know, there's that thing of like, oh, well, you know, the band's doing well, but it's not a massive band. And like, I don't want to be too big for my boots, um, Mm. you know, and starting to champion, you know, a whole group. But actually, that's just a, you know, that's a cop out. Um, and I've been, you know, trying where I can to do more and more to a support the people that I've got to know personally, like these young fans. And, you know, there's been letters that we're yeah. writing backwards and forwards between us, but also on like more of a macro level, just looking at the industry as a whole. And like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously I was talking to someone recently because um, I don't know if you know, but I'm a big football fan and like previously played yeah. football um, quite a lot. And basically sort of was reflecting on all of my experiences of that and like been lucky enough to go to a lot of matches and have like a lovely but slightly um eclectic group of um sort of middle-aged men from Stockport that like we go to the games together because they were all mates with my dad from when he grew up um and sort of like you know just reflecting on the way that gender dynamics kind of play out and like things are said and the way that I react to to things in all different contexts um in order to make people and myself more comfortable and actually that as a result of that by not calling stuff out whether it's like guys in the pub chanting about how manchester's wonderful because it's full of tits fanny and united or if it's like wow. you know the sound guy telling you that it's really lovely that you can hit the drums so hard because you don't often see that from a girl like actually if you laugh along oh, with any that's of that so annoying <laughs> exactly and like previously I've kind of tried to shrug it off to minimize my difference in the group particularly since like I'm the girl in a group of five guys and you don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable yeah you don't want to be making a scene but at the same time completely agree 100% yeah if you if you kind of just as you said if you're allowing it to happen it's kind of making it making it continue I guess 100% you basically just reinforce the sense that that space is for those people and you're a kind yeah. of privileged guest there as opposed to that that space shouldn't exist and can't be allowed to exist and actually by enabling it you're closing the door for the amazing young girls who come to our gigs who tell me that they want to go into music management but don't know how and don't think it's for them um and so I think that it's a really exciting time in like 
the world of music, obviously, yeah. and all of the like societal positions. But I personally have done a lot of like reflecting about what my role can and should be within that. Without you know, you don't want to be some kind of like, well, because I'm the drummer in an indie band, I can you know I should be the forefront of this movement. But equally, actually, by being self-deprecating, it often enables kind of like laziness. It's like, well, I'm not the biggest person in this yeah. space, so therefore I'll leave it for the person who is and I'll just kind of toddle around and go for a pint. And actually, if everyone does that, yeah. then nothing happens and nothing changes. Yeah, I think that's very, very self-aware of you to say that, though, and kind of say that I've, that's a really interesting perspective. I've never thought of being self-deprecating as being a kind of a way out, but that's actually quite true, well, I guess. I, yeah, I don't know, hearing it back, maybe that's, maybe that's <laughs> no. me just enabling arrogance, but as in, no. for me, I know at least that is certainly true, and like, in all areas of my life, I think that I'm definitely guilty of that, um, but I think it's like, particularly for my position, in a way, it's difficult because the band isn't, it's, it's not a kind of like paradigm of gender equality, there's one girl and five guys, so we're not going to be the leading spokespeople for that. But equally, I think, so I spent a bit of time um, talking to Raquel from Dreamwife about Mm. a lot of this stuff. And she's like, they've done amazing stuff. And I was kind of just trying to understand, you know, how you can use, you know, our platform to, you know, champion some of this stuff. Um, And actually what I came to realise was, obviously it's an issue that, well, it's not an issue, but it's it is what it is that we are not kind of like a all female and female or yeah. you know um, non binary group. However, actually, I have this really privileged privileged access because mm. people perceive it as a male band. I probably am aware of a lot more of the casual sexism that you wouldn't say if it was like you know if Dreamwife are on a call, they're not going to start referring to like hot girls and stuff because they're perceived as like a female band and like obviously that's not acceptable so I think probably I have more access to this and therefore I'm in a weird but kind of like powerful position to kind of identify and call stuff out um so yeah I bet you get asked a lot what it's like to be the only girl in a band (laughs) must be yeah it's just all I mean it's just constant tampon crises you know that's pretty much it um (laughs) and you know just like yeah talking about boys um and yeah just like having achy boobs that's pretty much it (laughs) it's like you know you get asked to write like an opinion piece someone it's like feel free to include like funny moments and it's like well I mean in reality we're just a group of mates and I happen to have a vagina Mm. like it's not really this isn't you know this isn't that kind of like groundbreaking stuff um but no it is and I think that I'm I feel really um you know lucky to be increasingly given this platform um because there was a long time where I was just um you know being self-deprecating and enjoying my pints um which starts to feel a little bit maybe self-indulgent and I think what you were saying about whatever kind of scale it's on if you can even if you can inspire like one individual like one girl that's in your crowd to be like oh I could drum in a band like it doesn't necessarily even if it's not you know a whole movement just like on a very small scale I think that's one thing about the whole and it's weird to say but like the whole coronavirus thing I think it's really individual level stuff and if you can make a difference to kind of one person 
it's really significant yeah massively and it's interesting what you were saying about meeting fans that want to go into music management as well because you like statistically obviously behind the scenes is very heavily male dominated so it's kind of it's interesting that you're even hearing from people that are feeling intimidated to go into that element of it as well a hundred percent but i think if you don't see those like i have met and know some amazing like female managers now but certainly when I first went into the industry, I just assumed that they didn't exist. Mm. And like production and studios and like recording, there's such an imbalance. Um, and the same goes for like tour management and all the different areas. And actually what's interesting is that for the young fans that I speak to, they're very switched on and they're not just like, oh, I want to be a rock star. They're like, oh, I'm really interested in the role of like tour management versus you know, like um, festival management. And I'm kind of wondering which one is, you know, going to be better suited to my skill set. And I just wanted to learn a bit more about what that means. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't know, but this guy does. And like, fair play to you at 15 for like actually thinking about this seriously. Um, Because like people are passionate about music and they want to be involved. Um, And I think it's just like, how can we facilitate that? Yeah, and it's amazing that they're reaching out and talking to you about this as well. Like That really shows that you've kind of provided a platform where people feel that they can talk to you about that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think like it's probably just more like social media, isn't it? Like everyone mm. is more accessible and like I hope that people feel like we, you know, we make an effort to communicate with our fans and like hopefully that pays off and people feel like they can get in touch because frankly, like there's nothing more satisfying for me there's nothing that enables me to pat myself on the back when I've sat in the pub all day than when I get to, like, you know, actually give some <laughs> useful advice to somebody who might be able to do something with it. Let's move on to your playlist, then. All right. All right. So, <laughs> so can I just... I need, I need to start this off by saying that this is an impossible task. <laughs> and, like, I was putting it off for so long. I was going to say, how did you find making it? songs is ridiculous. So I literally gave myself five minutes and just wrote down the first ten that came to mind. So this is not definitive. Well, that's, but I think, I think it, you know, that's probably a good approach, to be fair. Yeah, it was the only approach, because otherwise it would have just never happened. I have to admire your arrangement of it. I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but it's it works really mm. well, kind of ending on LCD sound system. And also, noted the first song is click song number one. Did you mean to do that? I did not mean to do that. It's slightly <laughs> organised in a, um, what's the word? There's a word, chronological, chronological. fashion, um, but not all that closely. It was more as well just kind of what, when it came to me and then I tried to organise it a bit, but some of it's a bit all over the place. Wow, we've got some really good selections on here. Do you want to start us off? You can pick one first to talk about. I'll go. I'll go chronologically if okay. if, that, if that works. Yeah. So the first one, I was kind of like thinking back to. I wanted something from like childhood, and that's evocative of that time. And it isn't. This isn't to say that like I listen to Miriam McCabe every day, but certainly like we used to go on holidays as a family um, to North Wales to a specific. It's called the Clin Peninsula, um, and we'd go like every summer to the same place. Um, and somebody, it was actually one of our neighbours, my good friend Ellie's dad burnt us the CD of um, Miriam McCabe's Patter Patter, um, and we just used to blast it out, and then that's so evocative of, like, that holiday, that period of my life, and, like, kind of just sunny drives through, like, beautiful mountainous regions, which 
I'm sure is a nostalgic memory of what was in fact a rainy bickery drive. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just that whole album and, you know, songs like that just remind me of family and sort of like happy times. It's a beautiful song, but the good old, uh, the good old burning the CD times then. Yeah, no, they were special <laughs> days and you cherish it so much, yeah. you know? I remember, so basically, so basically Ellie, who will come up a lot later on in the playlist, was my, so lived, grew up on the same street as me. Tragically is not doing lockdown in Leeds, the bastard, she's over at her boyfriend's. Um, But like my early years and like musical journey is just completely influenced and sort of like shared with her. Um, And we used to constantly burn like, you know, mixes for one another. Um, and I actually got back into it briefly at uni um, and would used to send like a CD to my oh, boyfriend really? occasionally. Um, but you, it requires a little bit of effort, which obviously therefore means that it often doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but no, I, it's like just, yeah, a very fond and nostalgic kind of album for me. And like, yeah, obviously as a artist, I think she's brilliant. Yeah, it's been quite nice, actually. People been doing a lot of, sharing playlists and stuff in lockdown yeah it's been really nice to have people sharing music again i think that kind of died a little bit in, in with the kind of rush of daily life no 100 percent. can i pick one or are you wanting to talk about yeah yeah go to... for it uh, okay let's go for andy williams music to watch girls by <laughs> i'm kind of glad and not glad that you picked that because i feel like it did need justification um and this was one where i was like i probably shouldn't put this in because as a song and as a sentiment it's actually pretty awful um particularly lyrically um (laughs) but it's just in terms of like songs that kind of punctuate your years uh i just have a it's an incredibly strong memory of like the very early days of my relationship with my boyfriend and i was about i don't know 18 at the time and sort of like woke up and we were having breakfast and he was making me like a coffee with his coffee machine and this song was on and it was like I just remember thinking that I was such an adult and like this was such a you know momentous moment that like I was having a cappuccino made for me by this guy who I was in love with and um that song always just brings that back to me and it was only really latterly that I because it and the start of it is brilliant as well with like the brass section um and it was really quite a lot later that I considered quite how you know problematic the lyrics are um, <laughs> but I, I can't help but love the song no that does happen that does happen no it's a very kind of distinctive song that's so lovely that it's like such a specific moment yeah I know uh, and it's weird because when when I when you were talking about what the playlist had to be that was one of the first things that yeah. you know songs that are evocative of a specific thing um so yeah and the other one that definitely ticks that box, just to jump in on yeah, another no, one, go, go, is go. Um, the Stone Roses track, This Is The One. So they play that at Old Trafford when the players come out. Um, oh, wow. And so that is like the most evocative song of like the excitement of a game starting and like, you know, I'm normally there with my dad and my brother and like, you know, just all of the emotion oh. of the moment and yeah like very very happy memories that then often turn not so happy <laughs> i've got a, a manchester kind of place quite a strong i don't know in terms of place it's like pretty important to me and i've got a lot of family there and a lot of memories there and i think them and sort of talking heads and there's a few kind of like key albums that always remind me of periods of time that i've ended mm. up spending across there and sort of yeah 
good good memories it's interesting how like a place can become really like significant to you for music as well i have that i have that Mm. with sheffield because i went to uni there and all the kind of Sheffield bands that's around that i'm just like obsessed with and just make my heart (laughs) feel so full Um, no 100 percent. i've got to ask you about get right jennifer lopez (laughs) (laughs) again that was another one that was just like where where there's a moment that defines us you know a song is defines a moment and vice versa um and that was with my mates we went across it was my first ever trip on the Eurostar which again was a moment when I thought that I was just like this very chic adult <laughs> um this was like I must have been about 20 and it was like one of our mates so I didn't even know the girl that we were going to stay with but for some reason we thought it was acceptable that like three of us would go across um for this weekend which was very debauched um but also like just you know ridiculously good fun and like a very special time with people who I no longer really get to see that much of um but there was one moment where we're in this like super wanky Parisian club um I don't know if it's still open it was like a boat club that's open 48 hours or something really (laughs) being really cool young people that was exactly where we went so it was like all like pretty intense techno for the duration it got to like I don't know, 4am, we were like, kind of a bit done in, like, maybe yeah. we should call it, like, it was like, oh, well, we're not here, you know, this is our last night, oh, but yeah, we're all a bit knackered, like, maybe maybe this isn't the one, and like, just as we were at the verge of decision-making, Get Right came on, which was so, like, out of keeping with the rest <laughs> of the music, but also just like this moment where, like, all of our faces lit up, and we were like, <laughs> we were like, to the bar, and like, that was just, you know, the night... It was back on and we had an absolute <laughs> corker. Sometimes you just need one song. Oh, and yeah, once again, the brass section at the start of it, just yeah. knockout. It's a winner. second to none. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, and I do, I do really enjoy a bit of cheesy pop from time to time. Oh yeah, don't we all? I've literally been living on that in lockdown. I think sometimes you just need <laughs> to uh, stretch yourself. <laughs> I noticed that you've got Pit Blom in here. You guys... You did a show with them, didn't you? Yeah, so the first label that we signed to is Nice Swan that released our first EP for us, which actually happens to be here. I'm in my sister's room. Oh, there you go. Just on hand, um, look at that. I know, I haven't <laughs> seen that in years and I came in to do this. I was like, wow, hey. <laughs> that was such a Blue Peter moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Pit Blom were signed to the same label as us. Um, and that was kind of like one of the first proper tours that we did um i absolutely love their music but also like yeah it's very reminiscent of those early days early tours um and we've actually like been across to stay with them in amsterdam um and sort of you know it's a really nice uh, that song in particular i think is brilliant alongside a few of their other ones yeah like both from the album and kind of that first ep um but yeah it's just very kind of um gives you that warm glow reminding you of those days traipsing around and thinking that this was like that we'd made it i do love pit blom i've only discovered yeah. them quite recently and they're really good i know and i need to stop going on about it because um <laughs> somebody did point out to me that it's getting borderline kind of um stalkerish but their drummer Ginny is like just the sickest drummer in the world and i want to be her um so there's a little there's a little unnecessary stalker moment. I oh, know, it's fine. It's all welcome here, honestly. This is a safe space. Okay, so um, one last one. We'll go for LCD Sound System. Yeah. Um, because that kind of brings us up to current day. Um, I 
yeah, I've just been listening to it loads. It like completely lifts my spirit. I think I went for a period in Devon where like every day I'd get back from my jog, put that on, jump in the shower and just like, you know, I was just happy. I was just joyous. Yeah, th- th- that song really makes me very, very optimistic for like days post lockdown, going yeah. out again, being with the boys, being on tour and sort of like, you know, life recommencing. Um, so that was that one. Yeah, it's a beautiful song, that. Elsie yeah. and the Sound System are amazing. I'm asking you the impossible now, but if you had to pick one from this list. So this, yeah, I, I can answer this quite easily because it's just a massive cop-out. Um, <laughs> but the one that stands out in this context has got to be Pavement, which basically, like, I actually came to super late, but through the band and in the band, and, like, it's... a the biggest influence on like the music that we've made and what we do and like it's for me so reminiscent of like the early days of driving around in like ollie's mum's volvo doing gigs and like yeah will forever remind me for better or worse of all the boys (laughs) um and all the times we've had and like musically is a massive influence on the band um and yeah it's actually interesting because we used to listen to it so much it was very rare that i'd like choose to put it on on my spotify like in my normal day-to-day mm. life in london um but the other day i was just cooking like in leeds on my own and i put on uh their first album and was just kind of you know i got that warm glow yeah and i was reminded of the good times um yeah so that's my that's my one and that's why it's a great playlist and um as i said it really kind of it does a nice little loop yeah, um, it's quite. I mean, when you look at it without the context, it's it's a weird <laughs> eclectic. But you know, the, the, the story behind isn't it? all of them. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It's the cl- kind of the clash of the genres makes you feel a bit strange yeah. all together, but it works. Who would you recommend people go and listen to while they're in lockdown? <gasps> oh my god, big question. Who have I been listening to? I've been listening to um, PVA are a new band from London. I think they've only got one song that's officially released, but really, really into them. Really cool stuff. Personal Trainer. So they're a band from Holland that we got to know through Pit Blom, who are actually my favourite band in the world. And if I could have put their new song, which is coming out soon, on this playlist, that would have been number one because it's actually the best song in the world. Um, wow. So listening cool, to a lot of that. Review. And then personally, I've actually been diving back a bit, which isn't like great for promoting new and exciting music. Um, but I have been listening to loads of like the Yeah, 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 and LCD and like the strokes which does just make me kind of like really excited about going out and having fun again um but yeah so that's kind of what I've been listening to and then bits and bobs of like Princess Nokia um I really really like Nonami or No Name or however you say it um and then yeah just diving back actually doing this playlist somebody who couldn't make it on because I was too embarrassed but who I actually still secretly love and did used to love um, is Panic at the Disco. So I revisited both their first albums this morning, which was joyous. Um, so yeah, revisiting some childhood classics alongside some good new bands. Oh, and Walt Disco. It definitely makes Walt you Disco. take a, a trip down memory lane, that's for sure. And uh, where can people find you guys and your music? Uh, so all good streaming platforms and social media. <laughs> um, and the album's out in June. So everyone needs to The album is that. out in June. So listen to that and enjoy it and be happy and let's all hang out when we can. Thank you so much. No, thank you. That was a a nice way to fill my day. 
Thank you so much to Al from Sports Team. It was so great to chat to her and hear about her connections with the music that she chose as well as the band's story so far. You can find the link to Al's playlist in the episode description for this podcast. So don't forget to check that out. She's got some really great choices in there. I really enjoyed it. Please like and share the podcast and do follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Vocal Girls Club. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Thank you.